Welcome back to Who Are You, a CSI podcast. I am Lauren, and I've seen CSI through and through around three to four times. And I'm Nick, and this is my first time experiencing these episodes. And today we are reviewing Season 1, Episode 15, Table Stakes. Original air date is February 22nd, 2001. Director is Danny Cannon. Writers are Anthony E. Zeiker, Carol Mendelson, and Elizabeth Devine. And I feel like I kind of want to guess at your Vegas score again. I feel like it's going to be pretty high because the entire opening is the Vegas Strip until we go to the party slash gala. So we have a Vegas score of three. Okay. That's our that's our official Vegas score for this episode. Okay. It is actually the third time we've had the same amount of seconds and the same number of scenes. Mm, okay. In the three, same of three scenes. Three scenes. It's yep. thirteen seconds. Okay. Like maybe with like one other thirteen, like one fourteen or whatever, and that it works out the same. However, very similar to what I discussed previously. The episode has a lot of Vegasy things in it, mm-hmm. like, and there are there are at least three other times where there's two to three seconds of Vegas strip shots between scenes. Yep. And so I was like, man, I'm really gonna have to figure out this Vegas score <laughs> rules rule set before too long. I will say, I have, I never really figured out what the name of the episode was a reference to, unless it's in reference to like the B plot. I think it's in reference to the B plot. Yeah, which I wonder if that was once a bigger plot. Mm. Like they were supposed to be a little bit more equitable or something. Yeah. And it went somewhere. Or they were just like, we don't really have a good grifting gigolo wasn't a good <laughs> title <laughs> name or something. I don't know. But yeah, I was, I was like, I was like, I, I remember I didn't think about it. But when I did the second watch through and it comes up, I was like, oh, yeah, what is the name the episode table sticks about in this episode because there wasn't anything table related no i assume that mm. it, it has to do with uh, the b plot so yeah. we focus in on a party slash gala the sheriff is there he is greeting who we are told is patrick at the time and we learn that this is a fundraiser and then patrick's wife comes yeah. in they claim like, oh, we did it, great job. Could, hey, could, go could be girlfriend or fiance. I don't know. They yeah, actually partner. say they're married. Yeah, partner. They but they're kiss. smiling. They're, yeah, they make out. Yeah, there's a making out, and then we hear a scream, and then we, it is revealed that there's a body floating in the pool, a fresh body. Yeah, but body in the pool. It's a classic party murder scene situation. I think I was, I think overall, I was pretty surprised with this episode. Ended up. I but was, uh, as soon as this episode started and I remembered some of the twists in it, I was like, ooh, I was like, I wonder what, what Nick is going to think about this. Because <laughs> I don't think I guessed it the first go around watching it by any stretch so, of the imagination. Actually, I've seen it enough times now that I, I was like, oh, right, this is this, this episode. Spoiler alert, I have a all-star prediction. Yeah, this awesome. I can't wait to hear it. So we move on over to an officer removing the body from the pool. We then see Grissom, Jim Brass, and the sheriff. They are kind of standing around the pool. They're talking about Portia Richmond, who is the owner of the house. We then go to credits. We return to Grissom walking. We go to Grissom walking into Portia Richmond's house. He talks to the team minus Sarah, saying that they need to divide and conquer the scene because it's a large scene we see and this becomes very important later but we see nick kind of hovering around a fish pond and he's very curious about like how much money it costs to feed the fish well you 
guys kind of know this about me, Lauren, but I am a Aquascape water feature aficionado these days. Yes. And in the middle of constructing my own little waterfall. But yeah, the, those are definitely koi. It's actually really interesting. They're like these, or I don't know if they're actually koi, but these like bigger carp looking fish. They're dark, but like, I don't think feeding the fish are very expensive. Mm. But like those, some of those fish, like based on the size, if they're like really nice koi, could be worth like a hundred thousand dollars a fish. Yep. But they they do a, a classic switcheroo in these fish later on. The fish they show at this point are not the fish that are in there that, later. So yeah, that, that well, become very important to the storyline later. I on. I had to double check on my second watch through because I was like I thought they showed a bunch of koi in there or something similar, but they are like really dark in color. Like I don't even know where they got those fish from. Yeah, I don't know. But. That's probably someone's act, like rich guy's actual house that they filmed at. Yeah. And he probably really has that thing with those yeah. fish in it. And he probably is just like really likes dark fish or something. Yeah. So he got dark koi. So during this kind of collection processing montage, we see Catherine finds a loose fingernail. We have a very gratuitous shirtless Warwick diving into the pool to find the cuff link which has the initial CM on it. We... There's a great there's a great hint at that scene that it's kind of relevant. They don't make a big deal out of it, but uh, Catherine calls out, "Oh, the turquoise and silver, that's indicative of the southwest." Yes. Which I... relates to Patrick's past. Yes. That gets mentioned later on. Yes. I th- I didn't get that the first time. I didn't recall that. When we find out more about him, but when I heard it the second time, I went, "Oh, there you go, good writing." I, I will say, like this show, they they do good at lacing information. Yes. And uh, I, I, when you watch it a second time, I, I've learned to really appreciate trying to pick up on those things, and and, and that was one of them. I was like, "Oh yeah." I also, by the way, counted how many uh, fingernails the person who has red fingernails on, the, which is. <laughs> Patrick's wife, and she is not missing a fingernail in either hand. So, I think that was a. Uh, they don't really come back to, or they do, but like they don't really make a big deal out of it. But they do try to hide one of her hands, so I thought it was going to be on that hand for a long time. Mm. And then, like, the, one of the last scenes that of the evening, I'm 95% certain you can see all of her fingernails. But, uh, it's 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 small small minor to minor uh, thing, but I was like I was like oh it would be really good I, if I didn't notice and because you know sometimes I think there was something where I was like before I was like yeah I didn't notice that but when I went back and rewatched it yeah she I could have been like oh yeah she had nine fingernails the whole time yep. and I did it but the color does match so they did that so that yeah, was good. Yeah. We pop on over to Grissom entering the morgue. Doc Robbins is making a macchiato. We learned that the victim has had a decent amount of plastic surgery we also learned that she was strangled but she was dead before she hit the water there was no water in her lungs so she was she was dead prior to going inside of her we also learned that grissom and the doctor are creeps and they literally are checking out a dead body as they're saying no as they're checking out a plastic surgery and they like lifts up the sheet to like check out her breast implants oh gosh i I must have missed that i must have (laughs) i must have blanked that out of my oh my god it was really bad i was like are you i wrote are you really checking a dead body i was like the doctor was like oh yeah they do a real they're doing much better than they used to and i was like wildly inappropriate conversation yeah, like, don't, 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 don't talk about that the victim that way let's, let's, uh, let's show some respect to the dead yeah so Kristen we, has a line though I think it's it's, it's going to be important for my prediction mm, okay so he says when they talked to the, she was choked before she was 
drowned. Yeah, she was strangled. She, she wasn't drowned, so she was oh, strangled yeah, before no water, she hit the water. Yeah, no water in her lungs, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he says, choking, that's a man's crime. Yes. And it's important because I've learned a thing or two about watching CSI. I may have cracked, cracked the code. They also request, like, a rape kit. Yes. Which is also an important piece of information that goes into my prediction. Okay. Actually, I... I'm trying to think if I made the prediction. No, I think it's during the next scene I wrote it down. Okay, all right. Well, you can, you can let us know when we get there. So Warwick gets uh, pulled from this case. He gets sent out on a 419 in a glass elevator. Catherine then calls Sarah in to assist with the scene at Portia Richmond's house. We then learn a little bit more about Portia. So Jim Brass lets us know that she happens to take in strays and this is where we're like officially introduced to, to mr and mrs haynes they explain how they met portia they claim that they don't know the victim though we in the next scene learn that the victim is lacy duval she is a showgirl slash dancer this is another if we want to talk about inappropriate workplace behavior a you live in vegas or you at least work in vegas maybe you don't live in vegas but you work in vegas Grissom is acting like he's never seen a half-nude woman before in his entire life. Like, he's standing there with his mouth, like, wide open, and Catherine has to be like, hey, man, shut your mouth. Like, get it, pull it together. And it's like, you you work in Vegas. Like, you're in these scenes all the time. Just walk down the Vegas Strip. You basically see the same thing. Yeah, I just don't... I don't understand. And it doesn't really make any sense with, like, the next scene the girl in the dressing room where he like doesn't seem to pay her any mind no it doesn't like like either either you're fascinated or you're not fascinated but maybe it's meant to say that like he can like check someone out but then when his work is on on the like when his work when he's distracted by work that all he shuts that all off he's his work is more important than even that yeah, maybe, maybe. So Catherine ends up talking to Lacey's friend. We learned that she was seeing some married guy, but he didn't provide much information on himself, and Lacey didn't give that much information about him to her friend. At the same time, Grissom is investigating Lacey's station. He finds a music box, which has an engraving that lets us know that it was for my beloved Portia. So conclusion is, this is one of Portia's music boxes. So I think this is when I made this prediction, okay. because which I may have made a, a false assumption that the music box was a gift. They never really proved that to be one way or another. I, okay, spoiler alert. I think the idea is that Patrick Haynes gifted it to Lacey. Yeah, well, yeah, he definitely gifted her something, which they they disclose later. But the I don't know if the music box because it seems like Lacey might have been a bit of a thief herself and so she I, really I actually think, might have done that i think that. patrick tries to paint her yeah. as a thief but i i i yeah. think that he gave it to yeah her. yeah i i it, it was very unclear but either way she does have it mm-hmm. and in this moment i thought okay patrick he's seeing this girl but i wrote mrs haynes killed her and then i wrote quote unquote it's a man's crime also sex kit he means he had sex with her <laughs> In other words, I took the evidence they made a big deal about in the first scene, and mm-hmm. I said, all right, that's the red herring scene, and they want me to think it's him. Yep. So I decided it was her. Yep. She, I didn't, there's another part of the story that I do not get a good prediction on, which is who, their relationship to each other. Yes. But I never saw that coming. But I was just like, okay. They, they seemed adventurous sexually with, mm-hmm. a, with, their, with their other activity that I basically was like, okay. 
maybe he sees other people. I don't know. That seems a little progressive for 22 for the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Or he's just sleeping with her and she doesn't care and she's just like, she kills her because sleeping with her husband. Yeah. And like, obviously, he doesn't care, probably care that much. But I was like, because they said, made a big deal about it being a man's crime, it's not going to be him. It was going to be his wife. Okay. And spoiler alert. That was accurate. That is accurate. I, I didn't. I didn't really think it was. I mean, I wrote it down, but I was but like, like, I was now. like, I haven't had a really good prediction in a long time. Mm. So I was like, I wasn't really like as invested in it, I think, as I should have been. And then it turned out to be true, and I was like, yes. But also, all the all the information was right there. They told you that it was a man's crime, so therefore it had to not be a man. And then they wanted a rape kit, so that was obviously going to go nowhere, because if it went somewhere fast, then there wouldn't be enough episode left. That's true. This is, <laughs> That's, this is all happening very early yeah, in the episode. Yeah, or the earlier you're on the episode, the more what they're trying to make you believe is false. And you have to think about what's the opposite. Yeah. Because they got to do the switcheroo. So we go on over to storyline B with Warwick arriving at his scene. He believes that it's a professional hit. There is a quarter in the victim's forehead. And supposedly that's like old school mob talk for call someone who cares. Yeah. After they have turned the lights off. I remember remember people being like saying like we'd throw a dime at you if you were whining about something and say call somebody who gives a crap. Oh, okay. I don't know if I've ever heard that. I mean, I'm aging myself because, first off, we're talking about, for those listeners who were born after 2005, uh, or or, or, uh, became uh, young adults after 2005, I should Mm. say, there used to be things called pay phones. You'd put coins in to make phone calls. They don't exist anymore because everyone has a cell phone. They were pretty much on the downswing anyways because... Yeah, I think so. But they definitely don't exist anymore because people have cell phones. But they used to cost... Ten, I mean, they, they've cost different amounts through time, but for a very long time, they cost 10 cents. Okay. And so a reference to, like, 10 cents to make a phone call or something like that, in reference to that, I, they actually cost 25 cents when I was a kid. I was going to say, I, I remember um, it being a quarter. And then by the time I was a teenager, they cost, like, 50 cents or a dollar. Oh, like, wow. by the time I would, there were very few, and they would cost, like, a dollar. Yeah. And you have to put, like, four quarters into a machine to make, like, a three-minute phone call. But... There also used to be this thing that you, 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 you won't see ads for this on TV or YouTube anymore, but it used to be called collect calling. And, and so you used to collect call your parents when you were at like, like out of the movie theater or at a friend or somewhere you had to be picked up from there where it wasn't like if you're at a friend's house, you use your phone. But you would be like, it'd be like, after the beep, say your name. And you'd be like, hey, dad, this is Nick picking up. And then it'd be like, like, sir, you have a call from, hey, dad, this is Nick picking me up. <laughs> would you like to accept it? He would just go, no. And then he would just come pick me up because he knew where I was. I was yeah. at the movies or is that like Boy Scouts. We'd always call after after the meeting got out to come pick us up. And But we didn't have to pay 30 cents or 50, or 50 cents or something to make a phone call. Also, I never had piles of quarters in my pocket. If I did, they all went in to play video games at the arcade. <laughs> fair. Very fair. Yeah. So we go to Grissom in his office. Catherine walks in. They have a discussion about why Lacey has the music box. This leads them to the thought of tradition. You know, oh, yes. Eddie used to give Catherine a lace, you know, a lace teddy on their anniversary or around I, their anniversary every year, and that was a that was a tradition. And so that's what they think the music box represents. Is like the date on the music box is a specific date, and there's a tradition. I think I hit the. Date back 10 second button 
to be like, wait, did she say like lace teddy as opposed to like teddy bear teddy? Yeah, no, a lace, a lace teddy. <laughs> the important, important difference there. We then go to Sarah and Nick having a little bit of a walk and talk. What am I, working food and beverage at one of the hotels? I haven't had a day off in three weeks. I mean, if they're going to call me in, throw me a bone. Give me the 419 on the elevator. Someone's bitter. I'm tired. You? Tired? I thought you never sleep. They end up going into the lab with Greg Sanders. There's like a, just a very odd discourse between them, and Sarah ends up, you know, walking out. And Greg is like, "Oh, you want a Valium for her?" Did you, did you hear the? I I heard it really well the first time. It was actually really hard to hear the second time. But I knew what she said. She shouts. You can hear her kind of softly shout. I heard that. Yeah, yeah. But. That whole thing with her being tired and angsty, yeah. coming in her day off, I don't really know what the point of all that was. I don't know. Either. I don't know and either. then Xander's is like way too jazzed to be a juxtaposition to that. Yeah. And, and I was I'm, like... I'm disappointed in that, the fact that when I didn't look really ahead of time, I just looked, I pulled it up right before we started recording, but this episode has two female writers. Oh, yeah? And this is how they're writing Sarah. Now, but... There's a little thing in Hollywood called producers. I, I know, I know, but I'm just saying. It's, <laughs> yeah, and director. Know. Yeah, they, no, I, they. I know, I know, I know. I'm not saying this is fully the writer's fault. Yeah, no. I'm just disappointed. No, no, I'm giving. I'm, be, I'm willing to bet that they probably didn't write it this way the first time. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why, like, I wonder. Like, I wonder if, like, they wrote something, they cut something down, they cut something out, and then somebody over dramatized the whole situation. And then the editing room, it just got even worse. The whole thing was just not on brand, I think, for no, the show. I agree. It was, it was not great. I, I, was yeah. not, I was not a fan. We continuing on the music box theme. Catherine and Grissom are back at the house. There's, they're looking through the collection of music boxes. As they're doing this, they hear thumping. And so they go upstairs to locate the source of the thumping. And they open the door to the Haynes having sex. And they, oh, realize, yeah, yeah. and they realized that this was like a stage. They definitely wanted them to see them having sex yeah. sort of I, moment. I, I have one note here, which is, I don't, know, I don't know if everyone who's watching this show for the nth time remembers this, but in the pilot episode, I believe there was a CSI agent who was shot by somebody at a crime scene yes. and dies. Yes. And it's a really big deal. Yes. And the fact that you didn't call for backup... Nope. You didn't, like, get anyone else. Somebody in there, yeah. Do you have a service weapon? Where is it? There's someone in this house. who, And also, like, then they don't, like, reprimand them at all for continuing to live at the yeah. crime scene. That right. They mentioned that the door seal was, was broken. Right. So they had sealed the crime scene. They're still there. So it was, like, really? They really just wanted to make the joke, right? But, yeah, they are. It, it was, like, I was, like, hello. Like, your show started about, like, dangerous how dangerous being a csi agent could be and then there's a criminal in the house and you're just like i'm like, gonna be superman and i'm yeah. gonna go investigate a potential murderer you know dissing you know trying to hide evidence in the crime scene and i mean it's a knock it nothing happens from it but like how right. is this like not you are literally the supervising like if there's anyone who, on the shift who should be following protocol it's yeah, chris it yeah. And part of this, and then obviously the second most senior person. Right. Which right. we're led to believe is Catherine. So, yeah. yeah. 
We then go to Sarah and Nick in the kitchen at HQ. Greg Sanders comes in. He's very excited because the semen that he ran matches a cold case from Texas 10 years ago. So this is kind of our our first little taste of, of the backstory um, of one of our main players here. We then return to Grissom and Catherine at the house. Jim Brass walks in. The Haynes come downstairs. Jim Brass fairly is questioning them further about the whereabouts of Mrs. Richmond. And then there's another awkward... I feel like this is a... Grissom is awkward and not in an endearing way episode for Grissom. He's staring at her as she's... At Mrs. Haynes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Drinking from the bottle and sipping her a straw. He's staring at her. He then asks for her straw and tells her that he collects them. Like this pl- plain plastic straw. Like, at least make the straw fun or fancy. Was, was there also another straw and a different... I, I, I didn't get this figured out in either way, but, like, he had a drink of the straw. I couldn't tell if he handed that drink to her or if he had his own. I didn't know if he was going to try to get both straws to have two DNA samples. No, he just took her straw. I mean, the uh, Patrick. Patrick had, like, a drink with a straw in it and then he put down as well. Yeah, but the the, the straw that is referenced later on in the episode is hers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We then have Grissom and Catherine go upstairs to Portia's room. This is where they learn, like, her wallet is still there, her bags are still there, her swimsuit is still there. Like, it, this, it doesn't seem like she went on vacation. Like, everything that she would probably want to bring with her is, is there. So we get a montage of Grissom and Catherine searching the room. At the end of this montage, Grissom finds a tooth in the fireplace. Yeah. Which is, I, th- I think this is, I wrote this later on, but I had this whole thing about this tooth thing is getting a little, is a, is a little far-fetched. But they they kind of bring it home at the end, so. They do. I, I think I harshly judged it initially. They connect the dots on this one. Well, they, they very quickly jump to, oh, there's a tooth. Yeah, she must be dead. This person must have been murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, people could lose a tooth in their house. Although, it does have blood on it, so it couldn't have been that old. We pop on over to Greg Sanders examining the tooth. He needs a DNA comparison. Grissom and Catherine are kind of like, well, you know, get it from the comb and the toothbrush. But then we learn that the comb and toothbrush are completely clean and there's no DNA samples to pull from there. So this allows for a little field trip with Jim Brass and Catherine when they go to the Liberace Museum. Which I have been to Vegas many times. I have not been to a Liberace Museum. I have not either. But I will next time I go now. (laughs) (laughs) If it still exists. I have no idea. I I guess it's 20-something years since that episode was filmed. What what I keep doing, and I really, I need to get on a better schedule, is the second watch through of the episode I I do on the same night that we record. Mm -hmm. So even when I'm like, oh man, I should like really do some research into that. I don't have time between watching the episode and then coming on here to record. So I I really need to schedule my my watchings a little bit better so it, I can so I can do some research I did tonight it, it, it often depends like when we're recording and when I watch the, the first time but if I do like I'm fortunate enough that I work from home and I could typically get off pretty early so it's like it's like usually I'm watching it the second time from like in being done like an hour before to record mm-hmm. so if I see something and I want to pause it and I still have time, yeah, yeah, yeah. but there. But tonight I wasn't. I had other stuff I had to do. So I, I there was like one time where I was like, oh, I kind of want to look something up here, but I didn't. Oh, the um, 
I didn't know if there was a spot the guest star with uh, with Mrs. Haynes. Okay. She, I think, like she, she looks, looks she looks very familiar, okay. and I couldn't remember if she was from anything. Like I didn't, I I know I looked at the IMDb afterwards. I didn't recognize her name, because uh, I I thought she looked kind of familiar. But then on the second watch through, I was like, ah, oh, she'll look at IMDb and see what she's in. I bet she was in something that I've watched. Okay. Okay. Maybe I'll look it up. And we'll get an update at the end. Yeah, we'll get an update at the end. So we, the curator guides them to a headpiece that belonged to Portia. We learned that she lost all of her hair wearing this headpiece because of the glue and the pins and the clips and everything that needed to keep it on. But that means that it's a DNA treasure trove and Catherine is going to be able to, you know, hopefully get some DNA from this. We then have Warwick going, well, he gets a personal artifact from the victim I had to use an exclamation point question mark here that the because CSI is very weird about ages of victims. This victim was supposedly only 35 years old. Oh, really? Did they say that? Yes. They were like, oh, he's 35. No, this he looks like he's like 50, 50 something. Yeah. I was like, if you told me he was 60, I would believe it. Yeah, I was like, there's no, and maybe I'm saying this as someone in their, you know, late 30s that I, I'm like, I don't look like that. That's not what I look like. <laughs> you know, maybe there's that a little bit of it, but there's I, no way that I don't have that any, guy is 35 years old. Yeah, I don't have any friends over the age of 35 who uh, look like that unless they are also over the age of 50. Yeah, no. Like, no way. Yeah. So CSI is very weird when it comes to ages of victims. But oh, see, now I'm going to go to IMDb and look up how old this guy was. Guy yeah. Yeah. And so Warwick also finds uh, casino credit markers that belong to the victim. And then we learned that the owner of the gun, like, well, who the gun was registered to is a one Vincent Morgan. The detective comes in and, and lets Warwick know that. We then go to Sarah getting a hit on searching searching on Patrick Haynes uh, social security number and come to find out it belongs to an eight month old infant who died ten years ago what was, so, the, what was the name of the victim again the, a Warwick's victim I don't know if I jotted that down to be honest with you alright I don't know if they ever I'm sure they did give his name at some point but I don't know if I jotted it down or not so we then have Greg Sanders dancing around with a headpiece on. This headpiece that supposedly needed glue and pins. And, and belongs in a museum. It's a museum piece. It's a museum piece. He's just dancing around the hallway with this headpiece on, like, giving zero cares, which, you know, rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. And this is, again, I'm not going to fully blame the writers. I understand that they, they write something and then it gets edited and then producers change it and yada, yada, yada. But then... Greg goes to Catherine and is like, oh, you know, did you ever wear anything like this? And she's like, oh, I wore nothing but skin. Not appropriate work conversations. The, like, this ent- entire department needs an HR intervention. <laughs> uh, I mean, it starts at the top, right? You it gotta... does. It does. But we do learn in this scene that the DNA is a match. So the tooth belongs to Portia Richmond, which is only seeming to confirm the fact that they think that she is murdered. We then have Warwick talking to the registered gun owner. We find out that he was robbed. He didn't report that the gun was stolen because he had already told his wife that he got rid of it. That's kind of the end of that investigative line of the story. Yeah. That kind of ends there. We then have a very quick scene. Well, we kind of jump back and back and forth to the scene, but this is the initial scene with... Oh, no, this is a different one. Never mind. Uh, scratch that all out. 
So Grissom, Catherine, and Jim Brass at a restaurant. They're watching the Haynes couple, and then they see Mrs. Haynes steal a fur coat from another patron oh, yeah, at the yeah. restaurant. Then we go to Jim Brass and Catherine interrogating. Oh, Grissom is there as well, inter- interrogating Patrick Haynes. He does admit that he had sex with Lacey before the party. He implies, this is where he implies that Lacey is the one who stole the music box. Like, he didn't give it to her. She stole it. I think he gave it to her. That's just my, where I'm coming from. I could be wrong. Nick walks in and pulls Grissom away from this interrogation. So Grissom goes out in the hallway, and he is angry. Like, he is really angry at Nick for interrupting this interrogation, especially because I guess there was a sign on the door that was like, don't interrupt this interrogation, and Nick interrupted the interrogation. I think rightfully so. Yeah, I... I was expecting a much bigger piece of information than Nick gave. Well, so we learn that the real uh, the real Patrick Haynes is deceased and that the suspect in the interrogation room that is saying that he is Patrick Haynes is actually Chad Matthews, who has like an outstanding warrant for a murder in Texas. So that's the news that Nick wants to give to Grissom. We then have Grissom meeting with the sheriff in the casino, and he, the sheriff wants to know, does Patrick have anything to do with Portia's disappearance? And the sheriff is all up in arms about this because Portia helped get him elected, so it's very important for him to know what happened and to get the story correct. So then we go to Grissom and Jim Brass. We learn that Chad Matthews has had five different aliases, and he has a habit of targeting rich, older women as his as his victims and that Portia was like on his list of potential victims we then go to Catherine Sarah and Nick talking we have a weird who foots the bill conversation where we learn that Nick will cover the bill unless they mm-hmm. ask him what kind of car he drives because yeah. that's that's that, that means you're a gold digger and the only reason you're interested in him is because of his money and I do feel like that was a thing like a while ago, like when I was younger, was like this notion that like if a girl asks you what kind of car you drive, she's interested in your money. Oh, see, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I okay, maybe is and this is not this is gonna sound like a brag. I swear, I promise it's not a brag. Maybe because other than I think like one instance, I have always significantly made more money than the people that I've dated. Yeah. That was never. It's also like that was never a question for me. You know, like that yeah. was never a that was never a leading question. In my yeah, opinion. I might want to know like, do you have a car? Because like, if we live a certain distance away, <laughs> the only way that we're going to see each other is that you you have a vehicle. I, I want to know that you care have what kind of vehicle you have. I also want to know that you're going to rely on me for transportation. You know, right. like I, right. you're not a, you're not going to be a a negative equity to my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah those things are much more important. But there's sort of like gold digging, like I I don't I think most people I think largely uh, media is beyond that sort of stereotype these days. I think so. I think so. I'd, I'd like to think so. I mean, there are people out there regardless of what you look like who are interested in what and living off the people they are in relationships with mm-hmm. but like they are not the there's no plurality to that no it is a sliver yes no fiber so we also learn in this interaction that the check was forged there is a and this would probably be around this time. There was a hanging Chad joke, which I, I, I I'm glad you wrote it down. I'm glad you wrote that. I, yep. I have that in my notes. I was like, I was like, I said, what a, right. 
a um, Bush v. Gore reference. It was a yeah. well, it was a well-crafted reference. It was a well-crafted because they're like, oh, his name was Chad, like a hanging Chad. Like it was, it was good. It was solid. So they walk through the mechanics of of showing how the check was forged, and then we go to back to storyline B. Warwick doesn't think that he's going to be able to close the case. We learn that one of his only possible other avenues of maybe finding the killer comes to an end because the, the the fingerprint on the quarter comes back to the victim. So yes. they were like, well, that's not going to help us. Which is like extra calling card, too. Yeah. And then they definitely make a point to illustrate and highlight that the victim was a gambler. Like, it's a big deal how much of a gambler he was. Work is really kind of harping on this. And I think you're supposed to see Warwick seeing himself in this guy. Yes. Oh, a hundred. Like, oh, like, the, like the I could have been this guy. Yeah, I have questions with the final scene, by the oh, way. Oh, okay. Ooh, all right. All right. Yeah, we'll I, there. I didn't know what to make of it. And then I, all I could think of, I, I, like, went back after the credits started. I was like, did I miss something again this time? Yeah. You're like, what did I miss? What did I miss? So this is the scene I thought was a little bit earlier, but I got it confused. So we cut back and forth to the scene a few times with Jim Brass, Sarah, Catherine, and Nick out. Oh, the dinner table, yeah. Yes. So we kind of cut back and forth. So this is the initial Ben sitting down and eating. And then we see Grissom at the scene. He's looking at the... He's back to looking at the fish. And then a gardener, I assume. I'm not quite entirely sure. Oh, I just I just closed. I, I had IMDb up, and yeah, he's. I think he's uh, gardener is his official. Okay, uh, so I think the gardener tells him to like watch out, and they don't. I know why they say that because I've seen this episode so many times. I wonder if that is clear to somebody who is watching it for the first time about why he shouldn't be that close to the fish. It definitely was to me like, okay. oh, they're going to be flesh eating piranhas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because also, piranhas eating people was a big thing in the 90s, too. <laughs> that is true. It was definitely a trope, for sure. 100%. So we pop back over, quick scene with the team, kind of discussing the case over lunch. We then go to Grissom looking at photos of the victim along with Doc Robbins. And we realize that in the strangle pattern, a fingernail is missing. Dun, dun, dun. dun. Which, they didn't really establish... Uh, that fingernail belonging to Mrs. Haynes, but I think the, it's very obvious. Oh no, they, that, they they bring it back to it being hers later on. But yeah, they had they, they yeah. hadn't they hadn't like like her fingernail is very bright in color, very prominent in the yes. first few scenes. Yes, and they don't like talk to her about it. They don't mention that they found one, other than to have Catherine stare at a fingernail. I didn't mention this earlier, but I I laughed how long she stared at a fingernail. Yes, on the ground. Very as if as if she couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> what, is, what is this strange contraption? We get back to the restaurant. We kind of realize that the reason that the Haynes have stuck around is that they were waiting for the checks to clear for the 1.6 million that they raised. So they were just going to pocket the fundraising money. They have money. control of Porsche's bank account. accounts. Yes. Which actually, on the second watch, I realized they kind of set. They don't really get into it. But they kind of set it up. Where it's like, oh yeah, we met her, and then we were living with her, and then like throwing the fundraiser, they were like, oh, that's one of the things we could do for her. Yes. And like, if she was really in Europe, and spoiler alert, she was not. Um, then you could imagine she would have actually given them power of authority or control of that bank account, so that they could manage the fundraiser and do all that. Yep. But instead, we've already established that they forged her signature, so they've probably just used forgery to you know get control of the money yeah 
So we, they also discuss, which is very important, and we do get the answer for this, but like, why kill Lacey, right? Like, if you just laid low and yep. waited for the checks to clear, they could have bounced out of town with $1.6 million and, you know, made a new life for themselves. Why, at, why kill Lacey? At such a well-attended public event. Yes, that is also important. Yes, not not like off to the side you killed her. You you murdered her in front of you dozens up, and dozens of you, other people. You, you actually choked her to death, so it takes minutes to do that. So, which they don't really show in the reality. No, they, they, they have it happening in like three seconds, which I'm like, that's not enough time to strangle someone. It takes, I had to, it takes a while. Yeah, I had to pay attention. Like, she didn't die of a broken neck. She died of being choked out, I guess. Strangled. Yeah. yeah. Well, she had a broken, like, hyoid bone. So, yeah. like, this, you know. I'm, crushed I'm her trachea. Crushed her trachea. Yeah. So, yeah. Grissom then asked Greg Sanders about the fingernail. He said that it's not Patrick Haynes, which Grissom was like, oh, yeah, duh. But then he does say that it has half DNA markers in common, which means that it's a direct relative of Patrick Haynes is <laughs> who the fingernail belongs to. And so, Grissom gives him the straw and says hey, run it against the DNA from this straw. Which, which good luck convicting someone if you've held onto this straw for four days without filing an evidence. Exactly. It wasn't in an evidence bag. He just like pulled it out of somewhere and was like, here we go. No gloves or anything. Just hand it over the, the straw. So we then go to Jim Brass, Catherine, and Warwick with Chad Matthews slash Patrick Haynes. His wife, quote unquote, Enters, and this is where Grissom points out that now he can see the family resemblance because they're not a married couple, they're brother and sister. Mm, how Game of Thrones of you, well ahead yeah, of your time. Yeah, way, way ahead of it. This is a super progressive show, way ahead of its time. Well, and, to be fair, I think Game of Thrones is getting close to 20 years old. Oh gosh, you're probably right. No, it's not that. It's not as old. No, yeah, it's it's like ten years earlier than okay. Game, Game of okay. Thrones. I was, say, I was like, I was like, there's there's definitely some time in between these these yeah. two shows. So, yeah. we learn that the sister is the one who killed Lacey. We see in reenactment, and it was all because she didn't want to be cut out of the deal. She didn't want her Can, brother slash husband okay. to to grift her, and so she killed Lacey to take her out of the picture. Can we talk about the fish? We have to have a science picnic oh, moment. My, okay. next, my next line is literally Grissom unveils fish. Yeah. So literally my next line is Grissom. Oh, is that when he does it? Okay. Yes. I thought yeah. they I thought they confessed after he unveiled her. Okay. No, because they, she admits to killing Lacey, and then yeah. they say, they ask again, where's Portia? Uh, and they're like, she's in Europe, like on a yacht, blah, blah, blah. And then he unveils the fish. And did, you, did you write down what Grissom says to them? About the fish having high cholesterol? Yeah. Yes. So the fish have high cholesterol. Let's talk about... Fish, but fish don't have high cholesterol. Humans have high cholesterol. No, 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 How no, no, do no. fish have high cholesterol? And they say the fish have cholesterol. And they say... But here's the thing. Every animal has cholesterol. I, think I thought he said high cholesterol. And he said the fish don't have high cholesterol. I mean, they can if you feed them... If, like, feeding them cholesterol... They said like human. They said fish don't have human cholesterol, mm. right? Is is yeah. what the line is. Yeah. And I was like, there's no difference between cholesterol and species. It's a general molecule. Yeah. It's used by a lot of species. Every cell of your body has like two layers, and in between those two layers is nothing but cholesterol. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much cholesterol in every in every fish. It is crazy. Maybe not always all the same types of cholesterol. But I was like, I was like, what do you mean? 
there there's no cholesterol in fish. Everything that's alive, like all animals, like plants, obviously not, but although mushrooms have cholesterol. Yeah, it has play, cholesterol. I'm, ex- I'm excited to play my mushroom druid on Saturday. Oh uh, yeah, I saw. I I don't know if it's gonna make it in, but I saw you uh, may be trying to win some uh, dark feathery yeah, dice on a on a giveaway on Twitter. So yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm rooting for you. That would be cool. You guys can follow me at Firefly Musings on Twitter if you wanna if you wanna follow my personal account. I don't I don't post that often. I de- I generally retweet dice postings and hoping of getting pretty dice for D&D, but occasionally I post stuff on there too, so just feel free to give me a follow if you want to. And you can enter the same following and then try to win the dice. Mm-hmm. And then we won't give you a P.O. box to send it to, but... No, we don't have a P.O. box. So, <laughs> if, if you guys decide you want to send us stuff, let us know. Maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get a P.O. box. But if you win it, you can message, you can DM us and we'll ask for yeah. some evidence. And yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll consider. Yeah. We'll find a way. We're not going to give our addresses out, though, so sorry about that, guys. But I live in 1400 Pennsylvania Ave. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the end, or the wrap-up, I guess, for Storyline A. We then go to work in the casino. He's talking to who I assume is like a pit boss and letting him know that the victim is not going to be paying up his, his dues because he's dead. The pit, the pit boss, very pointedly tells Warwick that it's a good day to gamble because I guess there was a game oh, yeah. that kept winning and so he, he looks at Warwick and he's like it's a good day to gamble and so as I, I have to think that if they know like I have to think that if Warwick is as degenerate of a gambler as they have painted him to be mm-hmm. in the show then every casino pit boss in town knows him, knows him. right yeah, yeah. and so they know he also hasn't been playing and right. so they're, you know, they're enticing him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a great day to gamble. Yeah. Even so, though you're on the clock. Yeah, I know. <laughs> even though you're working. So Warwick is walking through the casino because, of course, if you've ever been to a Vegas casino, if you want to get anywhere in a Vegas casino, you have to walk. Or, like, in a hotel, if you want to get anywhere other... You have to go through the casino, basically. Yep. You can't get to anything in Vegas without walking through a casino, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. A very long-winded It's intelligently that. designed that way. Yes. Very purposely designed that way. So, he's walking out of the casino, and we get this kind of spinning shot of him. <laughs> rotating shot of him. And as the shot is rotating around him, we're hearing voiceovers. So, we're hearing... Earl- Line said in earlier episodes related to Warwick's gambling. So Sarah saying that he has a problem. Eckley saying that he had someone cover for him because he was gambling. Grissom saying, hey, do what you want to do on your own time. Yeah. But, you know, when you're here, you're working. And that's the end of the episode. And I know yeah. you wanted to talk about this, so yeah. let's talk Does, about it. I don't know if I'm supposed to assume he's gambling that night or not. I I think it's a, I think you're supposed to be left with that question. Okay. I think the point is, for a few episodes now... It's a cliffhanger. Yeah, I think for a few episodes now, they've been going out of their way to remind us that Warwick hasn't gambled in a while mm-hmm. right they keep being like he kept being like oh yeah like in the old days when i used to this and like oh when i used to gamble and so they've made it and this point. episode has a billion references right yes yes and this episode has many multiple references to it and so i think 
we're supposed to I think we're not supposed to know the answer to that question at the end of this episode. I think we're supposed Good. to be I think we're supposed to be left with he very well could gamble because yeah. gambling is is such a strong pull, but maybe he doesn't. I couldn't tell if they if see this is it's interesting. Like I hope that's what they were going for. Because I, I, I found myself saying, like, are you trying to tell me, like, that he's... Because at, at first I thought he was going to walk out and it was going to be, like, a conquering moment. Like, mm. oh, I don't want to be that guy. Like, the guy who just died in an elevator. Right, right. I'm listening to the people around the, me. The 35-year-old man that looked like a 60-year-old. That's yeah. not who I want to be. He's, who, by the way, the dead guy's name was Tyson Green. The actor's name, I think, is William Patrick Johnson. Okay. If I figure this out right. He has been in, like, eight things his entire life. Okay. And nowhere could I find a date of birth or age for him. Okay. So he's not popular enough for anyone to have asked that question and written it down. On the internet, at least. But the other side of the coin was... Or am I the, supposed to take the spiraling metaphorically, the spinning shot as like a spiral, in mm-hmm. that his addiction yeah, yeah, yeah. It just he's hearing, spiraling. he's hearing all of these things that people have said to him. Yeah. But the thing about addiction is it doesn't matter. That's right. what makes it a disease. Is yeah, it yeah, a yeah. mental illness? You cannot help yourself. Yeah, yeah. And is he spiraling out of control in that moment? Is it? There are all these things nostalgic to him, right? Mm-hmm. And I felt like it could go either way. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming, maybe I'm reading it a little bit to the fact that you've seen other episodes, that maybe you know that the storyline is continuing and that Nikki will find out more next week or three weeks from now or something. But, yeah, it's I, I much prefer if the intention was to leave you wondering mm-hmm. what is he going to do. Yeah. Because it does do that, but like yeah. for a second I thought, like I felt like it almost felt like they were trying to go somewhere with it, and then they didn't. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And that's why I said, like, this was another one where, like, I had to hit the back, I think I said this earlier, I had to hit the back button and be like, yeah, did I time. miss, did I miss, like, the, like once, did I glance away and miss something? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it just seemed like it ended. I think I was yeah. writing something down in my notebook, and then it went to credits, and I, like, stopped, and I was like, wait, what? What did I just miss? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, ambiguous ending or not, uh, what did you think about this episode, Nick? This episode's kind of a mess. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not over the moon on this episode. It, I felt better as the episode went on, but I got really like distracted by Sarah being tired and Xander's being crazy. I enjoyed that. I I actually enjoyed i thought they at first thought it was gonna be a single plot line story again i think they did they they did okay with the second plot line there was a a ton there i mean they never found the killer no it's just it's a a, but that's the way it goes sometimes right Right. so but like i don't know where i'd rank it it's definitely not towards the top it's it's not on the bottom yeah but it's closer to the bottom than it is the top so yeah i'm i'm in a similar boat it it's okay. It's not great. Uh, I apologize for my dog barking. Yeah, so I'm there with you. This was eh. It's an eh yeah. episode. I think they did Sarah dirty. I, I do not like how Sarah is portrayed in this episode. She's barely in the They bring her in, and what does she do? Yeah, just complain about wanting a shot and how tired she is. And, yeah, it's... She might as well... They might have... She should... 
they should have just kept her out of the episode, honestly. Like, I, I would have felt better. I mean, I would have been bummed to have not had her in it because I do like her character a lot. But yeah. I would have preferred her just not be in this episode versus how they treated her in this episode. I wish that they invested a little bit more into storyline B. I'm glad that there was two storylines. I'm glad this was not a single storyline episode, but I feel that the second storyline definitely could have gotten a little bit more attention to it. And <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd say like this is on the this is on the lower the lower end for me uh, as far as episodes go. They really they very so quickly moved through the like the guy with the registered gun. Like I felt like maybe they were gonna have more in there. Yeah, and they just were like, like eh. they did like a reshoot and like just like oh we'll do like a thirty second like a five second clip on the strip where they're like oh your house is broken too okay I guess you're cool yeah we just believe fine. you go back to valet and cars yeah yeah don't worry about it like we're not gonna investigate this any further so all right well next week we will be back with season one episode 16 too tough to die in the meantime you can find us on Facebook at who are you colon a CSI podcast. You can also find us on Twitter slash X, Instagram, and threads at whoareucsipod. You can also email us at whoareucsipod at gmail.com. And feel free to use the hashtag whoareucsipod if you'd like to get our attention on social media or, you know, get other people to pay us attention on social yeah. media. Both, both ways, well, we would appreciate it. And so we will see you next time. No spoilers. No spoilers.